Today's readings taken from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 8, and chapter 22, verses 1 to 5. Chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down of, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now upon the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great strait great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not lead the they will not need the light of the Lamb or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Rebecca. If you keep your Bibles open to Revelation chapter 21 and 22, uh, this is the final part of our series of God's story, our story, and let's pray that God will speak us, to us today. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this Bible that tells us the, the, the story of our creation, our fall, our, the promise and the salvation that we have received in Jesus and the new world that is coming. And Lord, we pray that as we come to this final part of our series, would you fill our hearts and sights with, with the hope of the resurrection, the hope of the new world that is coming, that we might be filled with that hope, that we might go out and share that hope with others. Be with us and speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever watched a book or read, um, watch, well, watched a movie or read a book um, that, ended, that ended so well, that made everything worthwhile in the middle? One of the, bo- uh, one of the movies um, ending that I love is the Lord of the Rings trilogy that ends lit, uh, like this. There's this scene where everyone is bowing down to King 
Aragorn and Lady Arwen. And they've come out now, now as the king and the queen, and everyone starts bowing to them as they come out. And then they come to the hobbits, these four hobbits, and the hobbits are just about to bow to king and the queen, except King Aragorn says, no, my friends, you bow to no one. And then they bow to these hobbits, and the camera pans out, and it's the whole kingdom bowing down to the hobbits um, as well. And if you are a person with any emotions who watched this movie, you cried um, at that part as I did. It was such a moving scene. It's a great ending that makes all the trouble uh, worthwhile. My friends, sometimes living in this life on earth feels like an epic battle, you know, good and bad, uh, and, 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 and the terrible things that are in this world. It is difficult, but the end of the world is revealed to us, and it's an ending that makes everything worthwhile. It is revealed to us to keep us going, to keep us going. It's revealed to us to let us know that the evil does not have the final say, that it will be defeated. And that ending is not just an ending. It'll get, continue to get better and better and, the, and better, better than we can possibly imagine. The ending keeps us going. Evil will be defeated. Eden will be consummated. The ending keeps us going. When God created a good world, but we fell. And the fall, the fall was terrible. The subsequent evil is terrible. As we saw, murder happens right after. And then in the pages of the Old Testament, you see all the things that we see in our world today. Wars, murder, rape, famine, diseases, persecution, um, the pride, jealousy, all the pettiness. Of, it's all there in the Old Testament. But also in the Old Testament, as we have seen throughout our story, there was also the melody of the promise of a reversal, promise of a, a blessing, promise that things will be different. We saw it when God called Abraham. We saw it in Exodus in giving of the law. We saw it in installation of God's king. Even in the exile, in the lowest moment of Israel's history, God prophesied that there will be a king that will come um, and, and change the world. And we saw how Jesus fulfilled that promise and Jesus came. There was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The church is formed. And it feels like, actually, with the birth of Jesus and the creation of the church, outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that should be the inflection point. Things should be different in this world. It shouldn't be the same anymore. But even in the church, I mean, the church is extraordinary, but even in this age of the church, actually, much of the world is the same. I was talking to a person this week who was going through a lot. Personal trouble, very tough troubles, and we sighed together. He sighed, I sighed. Maybe you too are going through things that are difficult, difficult to handle. On a global scale, there's all the things that we see on the news as well. There's still wars going on. We just prayed about war in Myanmar, the, the, the wars in Ukraine and Israel still going on. And then there's the rise of racism and nationalism and this competition. It's tough. Why can't God do something about it? Well, he can and he will. And the last few pages of the Bible describes what God will do. And this is the ending. Then I saw a new heaven 
and a new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Friends, the whole world, the whole cosmos, the whole universe will be recreated. God will bring an ending to this world, and he will create a new one. Well, why can't God do something about it right now? Well, because he's patient, because he's loving. And I'm told that a mold formed on hard cheese like cheddar cheese, you know, you can actually cut that part out and eat the rest of it. Because with hard cheese, uh, it's hard enough that the spores, the moldy spores have not spread everywhere else. You can just cut out the moldy part. But with soft cheese, if you see mold anywhere in the cheese, you have to throw away that cheese because those spores actually have penetrated everywhere. Uh, You just don't see it. And it's just a matter of time. Friends, sin and death are like that. Beware of the spores of sin. Sin is all around us. Sin has penetrated and permeated everything in this world. Everything in this world. It's in capitalism. It's in socialism. It's in democracy. It's in communism. It's in the marketplace, in the workplace, in your homes. It's in our relationships. It's in every part of our relationship. It's in our body, sin and death. It's in my heart. It's in my soul. Every part has been touched by the spores of sin and death. The reformers call this the doctrine of total depravity. It doesn't mean that you're 100% evil. It does mean, though, every part, 100% of the world has been touched by sin and death. And that's why we cannot, no matter how we try, create the heaven on earth by ourselves. We cannot create a utopia here on earth on by our own efforts because everything that we do, everything that we create is touched by sin and death, even with the best of AI technology. You know, whatever it's promising, the medical breakthrough, best education, political revolutions, we cannot bring in utopia here to the world. Spores of sin remain everywhere. But what we cannot do, God will do. In Babel, in the Tower of Babel, people try to reach heaven by their own efforts. But at the end of history, God will bring that heaven down to earth. In the end, that heavenly city will come down to earth. I saw the holy city coming down. God will bring that perfect world to earth. And friends, that day is coming. And it's not just the world that will be transformed. We will be transformed as well. See, this says, I, said, I, I saw the holy city in the new Jerusalem coming down from the heaven. But it's also, see, it's called the bride of God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband, Jesus And later on in chapter 21, verse 12, you'll see that actually uh, there are 12 gates with the 12 names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And and, and this city also has the foundation of the 12 apostles. What is the bride of Christ? What is built upon the foundations of, of, of the apostles and the prophets? Well, the church, us. This new city is also us the people of God, the people of God. And what it's saying is that we will be transformed. We will be beautifully dressed um, as the bride of Christ. Friends, 
right now, we're not as we should be. You know that, and I know that. But those who are in Christ will be recreated. We will be given new bodies fit for our husband. Jesus, fit for this new world that is being created. We will be transformed. And God will come. If you look at verse 20, uh, chapter 21, verse 4, there will be no more mourning or crying or pain. God himself will wipe the tears from our eyes. That world is coming. Now, towards end of that, uh, uh, the trilogy, Frodo turns evil. He gets the ring, and at the very end, he wants to keep that ring for himself and does not want to destroy it. But what if, you know, imagine if Frodo had seen that scene where the whole world is honoring him and thanking him. Do you think that would have helped? Do you think he would have also, he would have still um, uh, uh, tried to keep the ring himself? I think not. I think if he had the end in his mind, if he knew how it was going to end up, I think he would have thrown the ring away. He would have kept going. Friends, this ending is given to us for the same purpose, so that we keep going, so that you and I keep going in our faith despite what we see in the world, that we keep meeting together, we keep worshiping together, bearing with one another, loving one another, forgiving each other, and encouraging one another, that we would keep going, we would keep going and growing in our holiness, that we would keep pursuing justice and righteousness here on earth, that we would keep going and sharing the good news of Jesus with others, that we would keep going despite the suffering and difficulties and persecution in the world because we would know that there is an end and that end will be glorious, glorious. Friends, keep going. This is the new creation. That is the end of our story. But before that, glorious new creation comes, there also needs to be judgment, final judgment. And I know that many people dislike the idea of the final, final judgment, but I'll tell you, I'll try to tell you why this is good news, because what it says is that evil will be defeated. Evil will not have the final say. In Revelation uh, chapter 17, we're introduced to a woman given three names, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes, and the abomination of the earth. Some people think that this woman represents the Roman Empire, and it probably does. But it's also given the name Babylon, a symbol of pride and arrogance uh, of the past. In fact, I think what this represents is just pride, prideful and arrogant world, the empires of this world that keep ruining this world. In chapter 18, though, Chapter 18, verse 2, it begins with this angel crying out, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. The world and its empires and its sinfulness will not have the final say. It will be defeated, and it will not come with this, some epic battle between God and the world. No, if you look at chapter 19 and chapter 20, this evil empire is just destroyed. Satan and all its minions in chapter 20 is, are thrown into the fires of hell where they cannot do any more harm. 
God will end it. Friends, God needs to judge the world because justice needs to be done in this world. Evil needs to be punished. One atheist writes, for people like me who don't believe in a God, there is no alternative between total justice and total despair, utter despair. It's either total justice or total despair. Uh, why? Uh, why is it like this? Because for those who do not believe in final justice, they need to have justice now here on earth. And if they don't have justice here or, not, uh, here or now, that means that there's just injustice forever. It means that injustice wins forever. So you have to despair. Or people who don't believe in final judgment or that the final judgment will not be fair, well, they take the matter into their own hands, don't they? Vigilante justice is like this. You know, a father who, who is not satisfied with, uh, uh, with the verdict and takes the, you know, the matter into their own hands and, and, and avenges their daughter's rape or something like that. Or, you know, us. Uh, not being able to let go of things and yelling at people who, who have done evil to us. Well, justice needs to be done now, doesn't it? But Jesus told us to love our enemies, not those good people who sometimes make mistakes. Love our enemies, people who do evil. Well, how can we continue to love our enemies? How can we treat those people who do not deserve to be treated, treated with dignity, with dignity. How can we do that? Well, we can only do that if we believe that God will judge. God will judge everyone. We can treat people as they, uh, 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 in a way that they don't deserve because I know in the end everyone will get what they deserve. Justice will be done. So we keep on loving our enemies, believing in the final judgment. But the final judgment also means that judgment will fall upon us, each of us as well, that we too will be judged. A little saying that when you point your finger at somebody, three of them point back at you is true. Uh, when I accuse somebody, let's say, of being late, you know, I've been late so many times, I can't say that. Or, uh, you know, uh, or being angry. Well, I'm often angry. How can I judge? I mean, that's the problem with our judgment, right? None of us are good. None of us are perfectly just. None of us can sit on that judgment seat and judge everybody else. We can't do that. Jesus says only God is good. Only God can sit on that throne and judge us. Yeah, you know, of course, some participate in more evil um, than, and some less, but we're all part of it. We all are victims as well as perpetrators of evil in this world. We participate in the idolatry of education, money, status, and we've created a sinful world. We all participate in that system in a, a macro level, in the micro level. Think about the misery that you have brought to your spouse, your family, all the arguments that you've had to your friends, people that you love. On the judgment day, no one will be able to say, well, I deserve a seat in the new creation in this perfect world. And somehow, if we were admitted, we would ruin that world pretty quickly, which is why only those whose names are in the book of life 
This is chapter 19, the last verse there. Anyone whose name was not found, in the written, not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire, which is why only those whose names are found in the book of life, in the book of the Lamb, only those who let Christ pay for their sins are admitted, recreated in the new creation. In my high school wrestling room, I, I know it's a surprise, I used to wrestle in high school, but in this high school wrestling room, there were, there were these three boards, uh, one for state champions, regional champions, and district champions. All my high school days, I wanted to be found, my name, wanted, I, I, I wanted my name to be on that list. But at the end of the day, there's only one list that matters. You know, that book of life, is your name in there? That's what matters. And friends, if you have turned to Jesus, if you let Jesus pay for your sins, your name is found in that book of life. Because you, not because you were good, but because you trusted in Jesus who paid for your sins. And so we must be thankful, and we must share this good news with others. We, we should keep praying and keep enduring um, in our evangelism. And so we look forward to the new creation, the judgment that is coming. And the great news is that the world that is created will be better than we can imagine. It will be better than Eden. Now, it won't just be restoration to Eden. It'd be, it's something even better than Eden. Eden will be consummated. If you look to chapter 22, you see familiar features of Eden uh, in the description of the new creation. But everything is better. You know, in Eden, there is a river. Well, there's a river here, the river of water of life. But it's better than the water, uh, the river in Eden. It's clear as crystal. It's as clear as crystal. And its source is God himself. And from, it's God and the Lamb, it says. In John chapter 4, do you remember? When Jesus speaks to the Samaritan woman, she says, he says, look, if you knew me, you would, be, you would ask me for water to, to come and drink from me. I think this, once again, is an apocalyptic language to describe actually how the whole world will be given life of Jesus. It'll be, the, the curses will be reversed. The thorns and thistles will go away and the things will bear fruit as they should. The whole of the, the, the world will be drenched with the life of Jesus' resurrection life. And like in the garden, there's also the tree of life. Uh, but here in the new creation, there's two trees, one on either side. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations, he says. In Bali, the land there is so fertile, and the veget uh, land is f so fertile, the, the vegetation, the, 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 the climate is just right, that you can harvest rice twice or even three times a year. Well, this tree of life produces not just two crops or three crops, but 12 crops every month, 12 times a year. This is God's way of saying that there's completeness and fullness of life in the new creation. The tree of life is for all, and the leaves are not wasted. It's for the healing of nations. No more racism. No more unhealthy nationalism. No more wars. No more unhealthy competition in this way. 
And look at his people in verse 3. His servants do not rebel against him. They serve him. And verse 4, they will see his face, face to face. They will see his face. And, you know, in chapter 3 of Genesis, we see God walking in the cool of the day. This will be so much better than that. Uh, after the fall, no one could see God's face. And Moses asked in Exodus chapter 32 to 34, you can take a look, but God's answer is, if no one can see my face and live, but in the new creation, we will see him face to face. That'll be the climax of the new creation. The veil of temple is removed. In fact, there is no temple in the new creation because actually you don't have to go to one specific place to meet God. God's everywhere. God's glory will fill every corner of the earth. And that's what verse 5 is hinting at um, as well. For the Lord God will give them light. John's not saying that uh, Jesus or God somehow will be the new source of light like the sun. It means that every corner of the world will be filled with God's glory. A better Eden is what we're looking forward to. But please note that, that this Eden is heaven coming down to earth. This new creation is heaven coming down to earth. It's earthly salvation. It's not escape from earth. It's earth being renewed and transformed. If that's the case, then we don't have to wait until the very end to enjoy some of that new creation now. We enjoy the healing of the nations here in this church with people from many different nations seated side by side, calling one another brothers and sisters and, and loving one another despite our differences. We can enjoy God in nature, in prayer, in Bible reading, in our fellowship together, over good meals. We can enjoy God's kingdom that is coming down to earth. And when we create, when we are part of creating a more just workplace, loving home, uh, and a flourishing world, we can enjoy that uh, new creation in our rest, uh, knowing the Sabbath rest, uh, when we stop competing and striving to stand out from other people, knowing that I am loved beyond my imagination by my God the Father. We can rest in that. We can enjoy part of that, not the fullness of it, but part of that even now here on earth. And enjoying that now, in enjoying it now, we become witness to it. In the book of Revelation, there are lots of martyrs. The, 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 the root, um, uh, root of that Greek word is uh, martyr is witness. Um, according to a commentator, this is what he writes, martyrdom is not only dying for the truth. Though in the first century, um, as in many countries today, it's not, it, it uh, not frequently is, it not only frequently is, but a mode of being in the world that points away from itself to the glorious finished work of Christ on the cross, his ascension to reign and to reign and his soon return. Friends, this is our mission. To live in such a way that bears witness to the finished work of Jesus, to the kingdom that he's building now and the new uh, creation that is coming in the future. It's a mode of being. It's a way of living in this world that takes the world and, and points it away from itself 
to the coming kingdom. We are to show that the world that is better than Eden is coming, that it's already here to a degree. Now, have you noticed that the Bible doesn't end with the end? <laughs> um, it doesn't say the end there, because the end is only a beginning, far better than we can imagine. Alexander Graham Bell, uh, the inventor of a telephone, uh, knew that his invention would change the world. He knew it. He knew it for sure. And this is what he said. One day, there will be a telephone in every major city in the USA. That was what he could imagine. That was the extent of the transformation that he could imagine. Oh, he couldn't have imagined what we have now, just as we can't imagine what the future, what the new creation will be like. But C.S. Lewis put it the best. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. So keep going. Keep enduring. A better Eden is coming. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that the world, the end of the world, uh, is an explosion of the sun or disappearing of the collapse of the universe, but the end of the world is your coming back and the new creation us being able to see you face to face and living in a world far better than we can possibly imagine. We thank you that that is our ending. And we pray that you would set our hope and eyes on that ending and help us to bring, live in such a way that bears witness to that end. And may the people around us, especially in this Christmas time, come to know the hope that we have in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.